This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing Discovery Episode 407, But to Connect. But first, as always, we will cover the news. And there isn't a lot of super newsy news right now, but there were a number of really good interviews with Jonathan Frakes uh, coming off of his directing of last week's episode, Stormy Weather. Um, and there's a good, you know, we got some good information on his upcoming directing plans and sort of and his insights into discovery. Right. Yeah. Last week, we noted one of the interviews he did with the Ready Room, where he kind of sort of indicated that he expects to be back for the next season of Discovery. And another interview, he basically said he assumes it's going to be back for another season. He also said he was booked, literally booked, to shoot the next season of Strange New Worlds, which is yet to be confirmed, although you know, there's more and more industry indications that they're going to start shooting at the beginning of February. So right. that's, an, yeah, so that's kind of like, they're not saying it's happening, but it's happening. But he's saying it's happening. Huh. Um, <laughs> and he's also, he said he's also uh, doing more Picard. Uh, directing seasons he said he did some for season two and he has some coming up for season three he did talk a little bit in one interview about season two saying that the story feels like it's exploring more of the crew and not just john luke yeah he said it's like the way a lot of shows the the group tends to come together in seasons two and three he really had a lot of high praise for the new showrunner Terry Metalis, who we've talked about on this podcast, who has come in for season two and season three. He was on Twelve Monkeys, and you know everyone just says he's the guy. You know he and and Frakes does the same. He said he's kind of like Mike McMahon. He's just a huge Star Trek fan, but, you know, he's also a good showrunner. You know, he came from 12 Monkeys. So I think the difference between him and Michael Chabon is that Michael Chabon came into this without a lot of experience as a showrunner, um, even though he was a Star Trek fan. And the thing about Metallus is I think he's even more of a TNG fan, specifically like yes, Mike McMahon. That's, that's what Frank said about him is that he loves, fiercely loves TNG the way that Mike does. Yeah, that's just another good hint that season two of Picard is going to be different and hopefully better. Yep, I remain optimistic. Frakes also said that he will be appearing on Lower Decks again. So I don't. He didn't say how many episodes or how much. And then he just uh, mentioned that he just did a watch along with Mike McMahon and Jack Quaid, which I would also very much like to do. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Even though he's doing all of these shows, he, he still talks about Discovery with a special love in his heart. Feels He, he calls it his home. Um, he has directed more episodes of Discovery than any of these other shows. Well, he also sees a big parallel between with the TNG cast and the Discovery cast. Because, look, we know a lot of our Star Trek cast, some of them hang out, some of them don't. But there is something, the Next Generation cast, all these decades later, they're still best of friends. They're godparents to each other's kids. You know, they all are very, very close. The way that real close friends are, not the way Hollywood close friends are. Like, they're, <laughs> it's the real deal. And he says he sees the exact same thing on Discovery. So, you know, really, there's no other news for the week, um, per se. The, the, the Ready Room um, official after show has a clip of Prodigy, because that's what's coming next week. It's returning. The Prodigy clip uh, shows Dal in the holodeck, so they finally introduce the holodeck to the kids, and he finds the Kobayashi Maru test which he takes on board the USS Enterprise D. So it's it seems to be they are now, as they promised, turning up the Star Trek lore dial for sure yep. on the show for, for the next episode. So uh, that's kind of exciting. Um, and we'll have a full review of that episode next week. With the return of Annie and David as well. That's true. I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into more discovery stuff go check the site because the end of the year we're doing some end of the year stuff including a best of 2021 article and a kind of a 2022 
preview article, and those are going up this week, both of which should be up by the time this podcast comes out, but if not, soon after. 2022 is going to be such a big year for Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, you know, Strange New Worlds is probably this is you know the most anticipated show in a while, especially for old school fans. We're going to find out what's up with Paramount and this movie because they either you know really move forward next year or it's not coming out in 2023. Right. So I'm very much looking forward to that. There's a video game coming out, um, which is kind of the first console game in years uh that i'm excited about i know a lot of people are um, what what are you looking forward to next year actually i besides strange new worlds because it's so new i love getting a new show um i'm actually excited about nana visitor's book about women in star trek um which i interviewed her about and just found everything she had to say so fascinating and i feel like she's going to go places in this book that that have not been touched on before and i don't think trek from a an insider point of view talking to women has really happened a whole lot in the past. Yeah, that is, it's kind of, it's something different. Uh, there's a first contact book I'm looking forward to. Um, it's actually a, a, a Picard book, which sounds interesting because it's set between seasons one and two. So it might bridge the gap and it could actually come out before season two. So it might give us some, some hints. Playmates Toys is returning to the world of Star Trek next year so we have 2022 uh you know and of course lower deck season three and uh more prodigy later in the year hopefully so you know it's it's a uh, mission chicago in theory although we're starting to wonder what's going on with that because it's yeah. supposed to happen in april and they've only announced six guests well i so. think people are definitely uh tentative these days because of the you know virus and all the variants and blah 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 there's just a lot going on <laughs> that makes people unsure if they should be canceling travel plans or not let's switch to some discovery stuff so black alert there's some more merchandise stuff yet another grudge related item is coming out <laughs> on the fourth uh a book called the book of grudge um and we have a preview on the site it's written by the guy um perlman yeah, Rob Perlman, he's he does a lot of humor stuff. So his he's done books fun with Kirk and Spock and Red Shirt's Little Book of Doom and a bunch of others. So Well, I'm sorry. He's... Grudge wrote the book, apparently, <laughs> but he had help from this human. That's how they present the book. But it, yeah. it, That's they, the conceit of the book. <laughs> yes, that it, it it these are Grudge's genuine thoughts and and haikus. Grudge writes haikus apparently and all sorts of stuff. So all right. Something weird. We learned Nilsson's first name in a very strange way. Um, we've mentioned these things called the Star Trek logs on Instagram, uh, which they do for all of the shows. And they're just these little audio logs that cast members record in character. And Nilsson recorded one, or, or not Nilsson, but Sarah Midditch last week as Nilsson. And we learned her first name is Eva. She's been in this show since season two, and we didn't know. Right. <laughs> um, I did notice, actually, when I was listening to the log, I was like, you know, they could give her more because she, I thought, got to do more acting in that log than she's gotten to do on the show, really. It's it's kind of sad, to be perfectly honest. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, she's good. She's convincing. There's subtlety. There's all kinds of things going on there. Huh. These logs are worth checking out only because they often telegraph things that are going to come. Like this week's episode was a big focus on issues with Zora and how some people don't like Zora. And that was telegraphed in this log where she says not everyone is going to be happy with Zora, which Stamets was clearly the key figure in that. The new Ready Room has a nice package on this episode as well. It shows you behind the scenes on how they did that giant scene. Um, so that's worth checking out. The one uh, with all the aliens, you mean, right? Like the assembly yeah. to do the vote. Yeah. Which wasn't easy to do during COVID. They had to kind of duplicate aliens. I think they used some actors in multiple roles. Um, and there were some digital fake actors in there, too, for certain shots. Uh, but uh, some interesting behind-the-scenes stuff there. 
in, in the interview with Doug Jones is nice because Doug is always great. He doesn't really give any spoilers except to say that we're going to see more of the Tarina storyline with Saru, which we love. Well, the funny thing about that, so he he talked about how that was like he and and uh, Tara Rosling, who's the actress who plays Tarina, like they sort of decided to play it that way because when he read the script, that's what he read in it. And what I remember about that is that you picked up on it long before I did. That you were like, I feel like there's something going on with these two after that first episode that she was in. And I and I was like, I don't think I think you're just wishing shipping. But it turns out that you were right. I mean, that Doug picked up on exactly what you picked up on and played it. Or or I was just picking, you know, maybe there was nothing in the script, but the way he played it to me. Yes. Certainly. Fine. And and this episode, we don't get a lot in this episode, but that, that, scene, that, that scene with them was adorable with the plant. Yeah. But he said he asked the writers, like, oh, are you planning for this thing? And they were like, no. But he just did it. And you got it early on. So <laughs> give give a gold star to Tony. Yeah, sometimes my predictions come true. I got I, I predicted the whole Zor is going to refuse an order thing. Oh, yeah. that was we kind of knew that was coming, right? Yeah, I, I don't think that took, you know, some kind of crazy <laughs> telepath to figure that one out. But <laughs> Maybe. But no, you're good at spotting a lot of these things. Speaking of spotting things, there are some things, if you didn't do it, you should watch the episode of Discovery to the end because there's a back half of the season trailer. I think it's primarily from the next episode, but it, it's presented as kind of this is what's coming up in when Discovery returns in February. And there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, lots of action, explosions, visiting planets. Definitely different than the last two episodes. Um, but Returning there, yeah. characters. That was exciting. Right. So Nan's back. Tilly's back a little bit, I guess. Um, Vance is back. Reno's back. They're playing some alien poker game. So they're going outside the Federation. So we're going to get some, you know, on the frontier kind of strange new world stuff hopefully and the bridge crew is definitely involved and gets to go do some of them seem to be out there with burnham obviously looking for book and tarka i saw some fighting there's a bunch of stuff that people get to do so it looks that was a very action-packed and intriguing little trailer that's basically it for discovery news quote-unquote news (laughs) so let's switch to talking about but to connect sure um, what's your overall top level take? It was a, it deals with some heady issues, certainly, but it's a little slow, not a lot of action, not a lot of excitement. It's a whole lot of talking. Um, it's kind of two big A stories. It's two stories that could have been B stories mixed together, you know, because they're both those kind of exploring uh, intellectual thought thing. You know, I liked it. But it, it felt like um, it's one of those episodes like where it just sets something up and you just want to keep on going in a binge watch, but you can't because, you know, there's no it's, more episodes. Because mid-season finale. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I felt like it sort of exemplified, I think, Discovery strengths and weaknesses at the same time. Because there were some great, unique ideas explored through character, which I think they're very good at, and intriguing relationships with people, which I think they're very good at. But then they have these moments where they, they're they either sometimes hitting you over the head with something to make sure that you got it, because I, I wish they had a little more trust in their audience. And then I also think there are some missed opportunities to do something a little more fun. So it's, you know, it's such a perfect... To me, it's like if you want to know what Discovery's good at and what Discovery's not so good at, watch this episode and you'll see it all. Yeah, I mean, they are aspiring to Star Trek greatness, and that you know we've seen this before. You know, they they had the Tilly episode, which was trying to be Galileo Seven. This episode, if it's trying to be anything, is trying to be Discovery's measure of a man. Yep, which is top ten episode of the franchise hard to match and you know it i think it does a good job of exploring some of these same issues which measure the man wasn't the first one to get into the whole issue of artificial life artificial intelligence in the franchise nor was it the last 
No, but this is a, this take on it approaches it the same way as Measure of Man, which was kind of different because we always used to have these supercomputers that had to be destroyed or talked into self-destruction, that there's such a negative associated with it. And with data, there's such a positive. And we get the same with Zora, that we're not feeling like, oh, this is a thing we need to get rid of. It's more like, what is this? And is it a new life form? And what does that mean for us? Which are all the questions raised in, in Measure of a Man? Although Zora was not acting properly, you know, so it it wasn't a crazy computer like the M5 or something. But, you know, just as a side note, I thought it was interesting from the beginning. It was an interesting choice that, and I'm not sure I agree with it, is that, so Dr. Kovich comes over because he can do anything on the show, apparently. So now uh, Ko- Kovich is in charge of assessing artificial intelligence. Well, he he tells Burnham that he has a background in cognitive science with a specialty in artificial sentience and intelligence. I mean, he tells her that by, right, his point by, (laughs) his point in telling her that is that she does not have that. Yeah. He has a degree, assume if a degree exists, he has it. Right. Um, So he's got them all. But from the beginning, he addresses Zora as her, she, as a person, essentially. Yes. Instead of it. And I thought it might have been interesting if he started with it and ended with her. Yeah, I agree. Because he goes on a little bit of an arc this episode with Zora. And, you know, he's kind of the Maddox of the episode, even though he's also <laughs> um, kind of the ju- also the judge of essentially a courtroom drama. Well, he's also sort of like, was it Haftel in uh, The Offspring? Yeah. Yeah, because it, he was deciding if he was going to take Lal from the ship, yeah. and that seemed to be the main thing for Kovitch is is he going to remove her forcibly? Remove. Right. They were going to kill Zora, but it sounded like, and I thought that's where they were going for a second that Zora was going to be removed from the ship and put into an android body. And for a second, I'm like, actually, that's kind of a good idea. Yeah, because um, <laughs> you know, the problem is when you ask the ship to just do a function and Zora says, no, I don't want to do that. Like having Zora as a character kind of like Data running around the ship. But it, 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 the problem with that is it becomes essentially Data again. Right. Yes. Yes. And so you know, the, the uniqueness of Zora is that Zora's in the ship. And of course, Calypso established, you know, so you'd have to take Zora out and put Zora back in. But I did think that they might have headed that way for a second. (laughs) It was an interesting idea. I mean, because part of the problem with Zora, too, is that Zora can hear and see everything that's going on on the ship. Like, there are privacy issues as well as power issues. Right. I loved Stamets running into the room and he's trying to play music. And (laughs) And get everybody to to do close talking with (laughs) the group hug. Which nobody even inched forward. Yeah. No, nobody moved a, a centimeter. <laughs> no one was. I mean, it was interesting how it was Stamets versus everyone else. Yeah. Kovic tried to be impartial through the, throughout this thing. But basically, Saru, Culber, Adira, and Gray were all on Team Zora from the beginning. So it kind of seemed unfair, actually, because Zora refused an order from the captain and you know that's bad for you know and something so important as the sphere data another sphere data the location of 10c zora figures it out and then says i don't want to tell you because i'm afraid you'll get hurt right um you know basically the ship become you know although they're still repairing the ship so it's unusable anyway but there's no way if that's the new state of things that Zora could just decide what to do whenever she feels like it. Like the, sh- the ship is essentially useless at that point. Right. Well, that's why they're having the whole discussion. And I thought Stamets held his own. I mean, Stamets said a lot of the things that he stood in for the audience in a lot of ways and said a lot of things that we are all thinking and worried about. Like, what if she gets mad and pushes someone out an air and opens up an airlock and all these different things. So I thought that that. All, most of that stuff I really liked. I thought that was the high point of the episode. You know, it's it's essentially 
a um, drawing room drama. You know, it all takes place in one room. Yeah. It's very simple story in a sense, I guess with a little Zora visual effects um, thrown in there. But for the most part, it's a simple, nice story with all of these actors kind of arguing things out. I kind of feel like Adira and Gray were not needed. Like there was a, you know, I think it worked better when, because there was these two interesting pairings in this episode. You had Culber and Stamets on opposite sides of one argument, um, the Zora argument, kind of, do we keep her or not? And then you had Book and Michael are on two sides of the argument on the station. So you kind of didn't need, Saru was okay, but then you started adding more and more people. I think it took away from that, I think that interesting duality of having these two couples on opposite sides of their issues. I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Um, I think that it actually worked to break it up and not do that because there were already too many back and forth parallels, especially when they were cutting back and forth between the two. You know, that's one of those hitting you over the head moments. Oh, that was way too much. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I thought that having them run in and want to be defensive, you know, want to defend Zora was, was a nice touch to show that these are like younger people and of the century that they're in. And so their attitude is different. And they made a point of saying like Stamets was pretty traumatized and they were not. So I thought it brought in a nice, fresh point of view. And I like that they just, they already were treating Zora like an entity just by running in and saying, we want to save Zora. You know, although once again, it shows that this, this ship has absolutely no discipline, no real chain of command, you know, because Adira is an ensign and Gray is their boyfriend. <laughs> Why are they running it? You know, it's like a big meeting. Kovic is apparently like as senior as you get. You don't just run into some, you know, important session that he's running and just start spouting things off. So he seemed fine with it, though, because yeah. that's just how they roll on the Discovery. No, but, he's uh, he's rather unflappable. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, but you think of the way he treated Michael, basically, like, you know, I loved when Michael says my ship and he goes, this is Starfleet's ship. Yep. You, you you're dismissed. Essentially, go away. Watching him in these scenes, like the last few episodes, he's back to that mysterious, sarcastic, dry character that we know. And it makes me think that that episode he was in with Tilly was that I feel like all that dialogue was written for someone else. And then for maybe COVID reasons, they just decided, ah, let's just have him do it. And then they didn't change the dialogue. Wait a minute. I mean, you know, so so your tinfoil hat, I think, may be right because... Wasn't there a case where there was a guest actor who had COVID and they had to... Um, oh, and they had to stop for a couple of weeks? Actually, they didn't have to stop. They just had to isolate him and anyone he talked to, and they just kept on going. But he was supposedly a guest actor that they had brought in um, to play a certain role. And so, obviously, they had to bring someone else in. Yeah, so I'm going to guess that was it, because that... Felt very out of character and not so much in his role, like because he seems to have roles. He does everything. He seems to have his hands in everything that Kovic, but his whole manner and the way that he spoke to Tilly didn't work. Then it didn't it didn't go with the way that he's been in every other episode. And he and he could have played it as the character he usually is and accomplished the same thing. In fact, I think it would have been better in that episode if he'd been a little more you know, sarcastic and not so interested in her and not so gracious and then realized, oh, this person really should be teaching. But anyway, that's a few episodes ago. But here he's back (laughs) to his regular self, which I was happy to see. He is fun. Yeah, and having him go up against the ship's grump, Stamets, was great. Yes, yes. And I liked him sitting there with Saru, too. Like, I like that he's interacting with more people. It's fun. I do have a question about this whole Zora storyline, though, which is she makes this kill switch, right? Why did it have to be death? Why couldn't she make a kill switch that would just remove her and put her in something else or turn her off? Why? If they didn't explain why it had to be death. Um, It reminded me of Arium because I could think I thought of like 50 ways to save her when that happened that they didn't try. 
So I feel the same way here. Like, really? That's the only, that's all you got? It's like death or acceptance? There's nothing in between? Well, I guess getting Zora out of the computer was is, isn't easy. Like, you know, Kovic could do it, but... Um... So in an emergency situation, there'd probably be, it would probably be a binary choice of uh, on or off. It doesn't make sense. They have all this technology. They can do all these things. And then they, it just seemed unnecessarily dramatic and final to me. Like you, I mean, if you wanted it to be that, then you had to, then they should have done the hand wavy thing of saying, we can't just turn her off, but they didn't say it. And so I just was like, geez, that seems extreme. But I think it's more to the point of Zo- showing Zora's frame of mind. Is because Zora said, "Oh no, that was I'm the purpose so- of it." I totally, yeah, I got that. That was the intention. But as a viewer, I'm like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I, it didn't take me out of the scene because Zora was saying, "I feel so part of this ship. I can't. I don't ever want to be removed from it. I would rather die." Pulling me out and putting me in an android body is the equivalent of killing me. So why don't, here's a kill switch. Use this. That's how I took it. It just seemed to flow organically from Kovic's I could remove you point of view to her, you know, no, here's here's a big red button to just keep the stakes the same, which is life or death, essentially, for Zora. It didn't quite ring true to me. But that was just a small point. In general, I thought that whole discussion was great. I thought Stamets turning Zora around was great and Zora turning Stamets around was great. That was all nicely done and um, Anthony Rapp did a great job. And the resolution worked. You know, This idea of yeah. putting you know, Zora into the chain of command, essentially. I thought for a brief moment they were actually going to give Zora a rank. Yeah, me too. <laughs> maker commander or something like that i mean they need a chain of command that is is it just the captain is it you know anyway lots of stuff that that i guess anyone can order that's that's a good question can anyone or like what if an ensign starts getting crazy ideas well you know this is i i mentioned the three laws of robotics in my review because that 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 is a big question that is dealt a lot with in the asimov series of if you get contradictory orders, right. Um, that kind of thing. But you know, star, I guess the idea is Starfleet has rules for all of that. And Zora would have to pay attention to anyone, but has probably a set of superseding orders from the captain. So, you know, if an ensign goes up to Zora and says, you know, uh, you know, blow up one of the nacelles, they're, they're superseding orders that say, you know, don't do anything to harm the ship unless, authorized by someone with the authority to do that because you know baby stamets or reno would say yeah we need to detach one of the nacelles but some rando couldn't do it right i just this this it could definitely lend itself to some exciting scenes coming up that's for sure yeah as they work out all these details you know i think we're now i mean last episode i said zora's kind of a character but zora genuinely is a character now and a member of the crew, literally, as a Starfleet specialist, part of the chain of command somewhere, and will continue in that role now from now on. Um, and there'll be foibles. Zora will probably fall in love with someone at some point, you know, and all the usual things that members of the crew have. Zora will end up with hobbies, like the doctors, or will take up, you know, we already know Zora likes old movies. So, and singing. Yeah. Right. You know, so <laughs> all of these things will start manifesting just like with the doctor, just like with data. Um, and I think that's great. Yeah, I agree. I think something a little more from Jonathan Frakes's interview rounds is that he talked about how for his episode, which was last week, um, because the character of Zora is so important and interesting and they didn't have Annabelle Wallace on set, who does the voice, he brought in an actress named Robin Fanfare to play Zora on set to work with the actress so that they actually had someone to play off of instead of, you know, as we always like to joke, like a script supervisor, just tonelessly reading bits from the script. <laughs> um, and said that probably if they hadn't already cast Annabelle Wallace, he thinks they would have um, hired this actress to play Zora and that she did a really great job, but that's a nice touch and a good use of a little extra money, you know, good use of their budget. I think makes it better for the actors. 
Wallace obviously does a great job, but she's not there. And so it is the act, the actors are clearly doing a good job against something. Yep. Getting back to the other story, there was a lot of layers to the other story. I feel, even though it's kind of somewhat the less interesting story, although it's visually the more interesting story because they filled up the Federation HQ with tons of aliens, which was kind of fun. That was, I mean, that was very fun. And there were lots of like really weird looking ones, you know, the one we've been, you know, Dandelion had one and all these very interesting, interesting ones. But the thing like what I mean when I say missed opportunities, to me, this was a big missed opportunity. I was just thinking like, I was thinking about Journey to Babel, original series episode, and how we get these little moments of interaction that aren't just about the meeting and the voting but are uh, that are just like moments over the buffet table, you know, like we get to see little bits of these characters and how they interact. And I would have loved to have seen some of those aliens just having converse, like little bits of conversation so we could see their mannerisms or see something they did. I don't know. I just thought, wow, you've got them all here. And most of them are not saying anything except the aliens that we kind of already know their species. That, yeah, that is a missed opportunity. It was a nice callback to have the uh, all Shane butterfly people. Oh, I was her. so excited. I was just, that made my day. <laughs> but there's certainly a lot of missing aliens. when Because when I heard, oh, you know, representatives from all four quadrants, you immediately start thinking, oh boy, here they come. You know, we're going to start seeing them all. Because, you know, in the 20, 32nd century, apparently, you know, it's, maybe easier for some of them to get around and uh, or beam in. And we didn't see a lot of familiar big faces, you know, there's, we'll you say know, the big, big one. Well, there's, well, the biggest one is the Klingons. Yeah. Like, where are, where are the Klingons? They, they mentioned the Kittimer Accords. Like, why do you care about the Kittimer Accords? Cause that's where the Klingon empire, but there's no Klingons here. So does the Klingon empire exist? Book even mentioned the Klingons to Michael. Like the, the Klingons are so important to Star Trek and it just, it's just weird that they, I think they were so burned by the Klingons mm -hmm. in season one. They did a little fix up in season two where they're like, okay, we're going to give them hair. Um, and, uh, and then that's it. Uh, they just, they didn't show up on Picard and they haven't shown up in two seasons of discovery. And, I just feel like they're they're gun shy. They just don't want to touch Klingons anymore. Yeah, I don't and on Pic I don't feel like we need them on Picard, but I do feel like we need them or at least an explanation of where they are in this future. Like did they make it into the future? Obviously there are lots of issues with the Klingon Empire maybe collapsing onto itself. So I think there was a mention, like like maybe Vance mentioned them once in season one. I mean season three or they showed up on a map somewhere. But yeah, no, we, there's no real exploration of the Klingons, um, you know, because they would have been an obvious you know, in this episode. It ironically, the Earth representative is the kind of Klingon here because they're, you know, she was all for attack, attack, attack. Yeah. Well, she's a general. That's usually how generals feel. <laughs> yeah, e even though she says that you know, Michael influenced new elections and right. kind of a you know and they've united with titan which was the big problem in that episode people of earth so back home you know democracy's flourishing and everyone's holding hands but then they send this hard-ass general to the meeting and she's all kill them all you know and 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 the and the weird thing is like you know earth hasn't been attacked or you know but she's she's just she's gung-ho um, well because earth could be i mean that's the that's the thing that's scaring everybody is that they don't know. They have no idea where this thing is going and who's right. next. Every, everyone's acting out of fear, which is kind of a big theme of this is don't, you know, don't, you know, because on both sides, there's fear of Zora and fear of the DMA. And how do you act in the face of fear? Because uh, do you lose your Federation and your Starfleet ideals when you're up against the wall or not? Right. And that, that is a really big question. It's interesting because it's something that Book says to Michael. You know, he says like under normal or maybe he says it to everybody, but he says something to the effect of like, you know, under normal circumstances, those ideals are great. 
but these are not normal circumstances. And I was like, dude, that's when you really are testing your principles. Like yeah. the true test is, is when everything's under stress, not when everything's easy. And that's when it, that's when the truth comes out about what your principles really are. It's interesting how they, they're constantly setting it up so that the president can't be the advocate. She's got to be impartial because she put the meeting together just right. like she did on Navarre. So it's suddenly up to Michael, this captain of a starship who's important, but, you know, suddenly is the most important person in the galaxy again. Well, she's always been the most important person in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To rally everyone together. But uh, I feel like her speech was good. It wasn't too long. It was mostly earned and uh, certainly did evoke the right tone for Starfleet ideals. Yeah, I would agree. And I also really liked the sort of torment you get to see on her face super quick when she looks at but like she just knows this is just gonna ruin my relationship completely and she's so sad by what she has to do but knows that she's doing the right thing and i feel like that's one of the few times where you just got to read it on her face you know they didn't say it they didn't hit you with it it was just all in her emotions her conflict was all there David Ajala and Sonequa Martin-Green oh, were very good in this episode. So good. You know, Book's been on a very interesting path all season, and this was his pivot point, is sort of breaking, where you could tell in the last episode that he had a foot out the door. You know, his dad was essentially calling him a coward and saying, you should go out there and fight the DMA. And he's like, no, I'm going to hang out with Michael. But his dad was essentially the, the this inner thought. And then here comes Tarka, who just starts juicing that side of he him He starts up. pulling those strings. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's all so deliberate. He started this before by meeting him in the bar and getting, you know, trying to get to know him a little bit there. But he's had his eye on him. And, and the reason that we now know is because he can operate a spore drive and that's why he chose him. And that's why yeah. he's been relentless in terms of playing his emotions, which is what he's doing. He's playing all the emotions. And we know from book's conversation with his, you know, hallucinate his hallucination dad or whatever he was, dad was, you know, all of those things came to play in this episode. Like Michael's going to choose the Federation which is how he feels, even though really she's choosing her ideals. But it's going to feel like teams and it feels like she's on the other team. And then all of his anger is being brought to the surface by Tarka, who's who's just a, a master manipulator at this point. It was his plan from the beginning. And mm -hmm. we actually we do learn. So we were wondering, you know, when he was introduced that there was obviously more here. He obviously has an agenda and it's somehow related to the Emerald Chain. It was different than what we thought. Uh, now it's that, you know, something about he was their prisoner and he was with another prisoner. I, I'm a little unclear about this. So yeah, you what was your both. takeaway? Okay, so <laughs> so at first I'm like, I, the first time I watched this, I'm like, he's from another universe. Wow. Yeah. That's a big, and then, but then you want, you, I watched it like that scene three or four times and, He's not from another universe. He wants to go to another universe. Right. Like he, when he initially said new home, I thought he meant Risa was his new home. But no, that is not what he meant, which Matt had to correct both of us and send us back to the scene to watch again. But how does he even know about this other universe? So I know. maybe does... his friend is from this other universe, this, this unseen, quote unquote, friend, scientist, optimist friend. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's more, how much more to this? Like, is this a big deal? Like, is this some universe we know? Like, because we're in the prime universe. How many universes do we know? There's the prime universe, which we're in. There's the mirror universe, which he said, it's not that one. Kind of reminding well, book, there's a lot more out there than those two. In, the only in other parallels on TNG, we saw a lot of different ones. Right. But I'm saying that we don't know. I mean, we know like crazy bearded, you know, Riker universe where the Borg won, um, you know, but we don't 
we have the names of like the three biggies, which is Prime, Mirror, and Kelvin, right? Those are kind of the three. Right. Then there's, you know, then there's an infinite number of others. And so it's, I can't see how it's the Kelvin universe. It's not the Mirror. Nope. So, you know, so it's just some other universe. That he specifically knows about. Like, that's the part that seemed odd to me. Like, oh, you found out about this one really specific good one, which you would only, I feel like you'd only know about it if the so-called friend is from there or has been there. And then there's the weird thing about why does he need, because the power source of the DMA is obviously God-level proportions. It's a hypergiant star. Like, you know, we've seen people jump from universe to universe using (laughs) pretty much standard technology back in the 23rd century. So why do you need that so maybe this universe is like really far away or something compared to other parallel universes right and but it also made me think like why does book believe him so willingly and we know why right like he's letting his anger cloud his judgment and a a clearer headed book would be like wait this guy just tells me some story about wanting to find a nice happy universe that has no emerald chain and and i'm gonna go along with it yeah you know, like that's, he doesn't have any proof. He doesn't, he, he just like believes him. Well, I think Tarka's not, obviously not telling the whole truth. Well, and he says he's going to meet his friend there. Like, yeah. Like, what is that? Like, yeah. Like how's his friend going to get there? Is his friend got a hypergiant star power system. Like it just, it all, I don't know. Either it, the way they've crafted, it doesn't add up or he's lying. I think kinda, he's lying. Because, yeah, there's got to be more to it than all of this. Except that it's clear that he's a manipulative jerk. Mm -hmm. Um, He's had this plan from the beginning. He's going to use illegal, creepy weapons to destroy the DMA, uh, which were introduced in Star Trek Insurrection, randomly. I like that. (laughs) Okay. I did. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's going to be the second half of the season is kind of the hunt for book, the hunt for Tarka. Yeah. Eventually book will have to turn on Tarka because he'll figure out that Tarka is basically a manipulative jerk. The big quandary here and something I think we've talked about before is yes, the DMA is bad, right? But does that mean species 10 C is bad? They could be like, you know, the, the, the whale probe people, Mm-hmm. Who just kind of don't get what they're doing, you know? They're unaware. They're doing, yeah. So, and I, I liked that discussion in the uh, assembly of differentiating the effect and the intent. Yep, I thought all that stuff was great. It's a good life lesson, I think, too, which is like, don't assign your own motives to others. Yeah. I mean, I have teenagers, so I hear them do this all the time. Where I go, maybe if you just take away the idea that you think you know why somebody did something, you'll be able to view it in a different way. <laughs> you know, this gets to a another theme, I think, this season about people judging other people and putting people in boxes. Mm-hmm. And it's all us versus them, red versus blue, and all that kind of stuff. There were a lot of people who were just like, you know, screw those guys. Kill them all. And you can understand that point of view because they destroyed Quachon. Right. They may not have meant to do it, but they did it. And they could do it again in a heartbeat, whether they realize it or not. So I, so the view that the most important thing to do is to stop it is not a ridiculous point of view to take. But the kind of cavalier way that Tarka talked about, you know, well, sure, this weapon will, you know, make you not be able to use warp in an entire quadrant and could blow back to that other civilization. And and I chose not to mention that when I was telling everybody my idea. It was Michael who forced that truth out of him. He called that collateral damage, which, of course, you know, was a term that's become famous, you know, I think starting in the Vietnam War. Uh, but we've heard that from military people of, you know, acceptable losses, collateral damage, you know, are euphemisms for killing people yeah you know and uh killing people uh, who who weren't asking for it you know i think that this episode again takes on some you know really interesting issues um and i i applaud them for that for sure. yeah i t- i agree and i enjoyed those discussions and i thought they were stimulating and had me 
thinking about a lot of different things. So that's always what Star Trek does well. And I'm happy to see Discovery do it well. I did feel like they kept, I mean, they'd have this great moment and then they just hit it over the head with the score. Like the music I thought in this episode was oddly noticeable and had an almost soap opera like quality of like, let's have everybody exchange glances and we'll amp up the music. Like there were just right, the, these the, moments, these soap opera moments, like, look, 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 and the strings start going and ba ba ba. So again, they have this, they have great stuff. And it's sometimes like they don't even trust themselves in terms of what they have. Yeah. Every act break had one of those and it, yep. it started to get heavy handed, especially because it didn't fit with the kind of staid directing style and slow pacing. You know, they should have tried to create more drama and action within these discussions yes. somehow. Because the way everyone, I mean, maybe this was COVID or anything, but it was just so static. And it was very, you know, it was like the Star Wars prequels. Everyone's just standing there in a giant circle and they're talking and talking and talking. And there just must have been a way to, you know... Add, you know, you think of a movie like Lincoln, you know, that there's ways you could turn politics into something more dynamic and more interesting. And they didn't pull that off. So they used editing like that, that overdone thing with Stamets and Michael going back and forth. Yeah. And I don't know, it just it didn't work um, for me that way. But, you know, so I think they were biting off more than they can chew in a way in this episode where I really like what they were trying for, but they didn't always hit the landing on it. Right. I liked the ideas more than I liked the execution for yeah. sure. And I do think and, you know, I, we've talked about this before, but I do think that the the covid protocols and and life under covid has, I think, affected the writing, whether or not they're thinking about how to stage scenes. I just think it's somehow, it's just, it's pervasive. It just gets in there. And I think that's why we have some of these staticky sitting around or standing around talking scenes. So many of them. Obviously the big, the big theme of this episode was not letting fear make your decisions for you. And while we're seeing how our crew has decided not to do that book has a hundred percent gone the other way. So this conflict, this conversation is not over. And I think it's going to be a while before he figures out that he's making his decisions from all the wrong places. Right. He's going to come back, we can only assume. Yes. From, you know, turning to the dark side, as it were. You know, although, you know, I wonder, this isn't so black and white. I mean, I bet there's members of the audience who are like, yeah, Book's right. Book and Tarkas should go out there and just kill those guys. Screw those guys, you know. So, I, I mean, it isn't that cut and dry. I well, get that point of ex view. Except for the fact, I agree with that, except that it's so clear that Tarka has other stuff going on. And Book knew it, too. Like, Book is suspicious. He's He was suspicious of someone who says, know your moment, right? Because he's like, this guy has something else going on. And Book pushed his suspicions away because it was convenient for him. So even though the big picture makes sense i think this choice it's so obviously bad and tarka is so obviously up to something i think perhaps a book is using him or thinks he's using him as much as he's being used mm -hmm. I, although he's probably wrong you know book just is so obsessed i mean and we saw this in the prison breakout he just doesn't want anyone else to die Right, uh, right. Except for the DMA people. He's okay with them dying, but no one else dies. So he will do anything to stop that. I was also just thinking that like Tarina did that mind meld with Book and understood the depth of his guilt, which was colossal. Yeah. And so I hope that that comes into play when they're trying to find him. Also, that maybe she'll be able to give Burnham some insight because she's, she's seen this look inside him. Burnham knows him really well and knows... And has had many of her own similar struggles of making decisions of that, which brings me to that interesting conversation because he brought up the Klingons, which just I assume, okay, they've had talks and she's told him about her past and all of that. But if he's, is he bringing up like that encounter from the first episode where she says, well, I had a cultural context. So that's how I made that decision. I assumed it was from the Vulcan Hello, the uh, first episode right. where she essentially started a war 
because she thought it was the right thing to do you know for reasons and we don't need to go into that but yes that but it was the wrong thing to do it was the wrong thing to do she thought firing on the klingons was the right thing to do because that's how Vulcans do it essentially when you meet the Klingons you shoot at them right uh, to, sh- to you know to show that you mean business but the point is is that book was saying you, you know you're used to flaunting the rules and being tough and and all that and here you are because I think something that's been very interesting throughout season four following the first episode where she jumps out of the ship is Michael's been very by the book this season um she seems to be a born again Starfleet book believer now that she's captain and has that responsibility with her. Uh, and uh, eventually I'm sure she's going to go rogue herself for, for whatever reason. But uh, I think that, you know, she, she genuinely believes that this is the right thing to do to try the diplomatic approach. Yes. Um, and there was, you know, it's just not the same context as what she did. And she has a lot of regrets. I mean, that was a long time ago. That's the thing is I think if she had the chance to do things differently, she would have. So that's why to me, it wasn't a great example to bring up. Whatever. Minor point. (laughs) (laughs) But I did. I liked all of their conversations and interactions as they tried to work it out. And then him realizing he's just got to do what he's got to do. Yeah. And leaving her the cat like she did to Tilly. Only this time she at least put the cat in a car. He put the cat in a carrier. I think when she left the cat with Tilly. It's just loose in the room. <laughs> <laughs> there was a minor storyline with Gray and Adira. We really couldn't call this a, a C story. It was more of like a coda at the end. Yeah. Where Gray basically is going to leave because they're all at HQ. So Z was there. So Gray's just going to hitch a ride with Z back to Trill. They kind of telegraphed. I mean, I was a little surprised. Uh, I'm glad that. Gray had that great episode last week, and Ian, that now Gray can leave. I get. I mean, I don't think Gray's leaving the show, but I'm curious whether because Adira's going with Gray, right? So I think they're going to have some kind of off USS Discovery adventure somewhere. I think so too. Initially I thought, oh, I guess we'll just get we'll have a break and then Adira will come back and then we'll see Gray again at some point. But I think especially the way they've been film writing and filming this season, I think you're right that I that they're going to have their own adventure. Maybe on Trill, maybe they run into trouble on their way to Trill. Who knows? Or it just could be as simple as your thing where Adira shows up in a couple episodes or even next episode and says, you know, ready to go. <laughs> I'm um, back. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think we've seen the last of Grey. No. And now that Grey's had like that really good episode last week, then I am fine. And I'm like, all right, Grey, what you are welcomed back anytime. But if you'd asked me a month ago, I'd be like, okay, can you go to Trill now? And I'm wondering, because they're, they're not nearly done f- fixing the ship, strangely. They've had a week. and uh, Well, it was so... pretty badly destroyed. Yeah, but at the end of the last episode, Saru's like, yeah, check out that programmable yeah. matter go, you know? <laughs> know. And now it's I'm amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> now it's like, okay, what's going on? It's been a week, guys. <laughs> uh, so I'm wondering whether they're going to do something new with the ship. Like, you know, does it get a new, you know, does it get a racing stripe or something? I mean, because they did a lot when they refit the ship. And are they just going to set it back to that spec or are they going to maybe add some bells and whistles? Because the whole outer saucer is just gone, essentially. Yeah. Um, And uh, although all the scenes I thought, you know, because they had some scenes on the ship, it should have been more apparent that they're rebuilding the ship because when they were on the ship, it looked fine. But in the station, it looked torn apart. Right. Like, it's a mess on the outside, but looks fine on the inside. Yeah, I mean, obviously, parts of the ship are fine. But, you know, you could have had those gel a little bit better. Um, this is just a minor point, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm hoping that they do add, you know, they add some new gizmos to the ship, perhaps. Yeah. That's yeah I'm not fine. saying on the outside, you know, just some crazy looking thing. I mean, you know, just some maybe some new capabilities or something. It's a 32nd century. We should be seeing more new stuff, right? Yep, I agree. 
Although it gets tricky when they have such great technology, because again, then people like you, people like me, we want our explanations of why they can't do things. And that it ends up being quite the laundry list if you have all this great tech that can do everything. <laughs> so Tilly got another name drop. You know, it, it feels like they're keeping her alive. Yeah. You know? And we, you know, we saw that she's going to be back at least in one episode from that clip that shows at the end. But, you know, it's, you know, it, this isn't like Kess, where it's kind of like, bye bye you know, and then she shows up in a few seasons for a guest shot. I mean, they, they're definitely keeping the flame alive. I think she's, they've name dropped her in every episode since she's been gone. So I just we'll want them if- to face drop her as well, because I miss her. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't she doing a little FaceTime with her old captain and friend? But we will see her on HQ with uh, Vance hanging out. Yeah, I've been missing Vance, too, so it would be nice to get him back. That's true. Vance really hasn't been around for a while. No, he's been gone. First, he had the fake worm thing. Yeah, (laughs) but they keep on mentioning him. Because if you think about it, Vance should be the right hand. He should have been at that assembly. Yep. The whole assembly, I mean, this is another stupid nitpick, but I'm going to make it anyway, (laughs) is... The rules of that assembly made no sense. Oh my god, the like, voting rules were crazy. Like there was like three Vulcans there, they were all voting. Some people were in the Federation, so when they hold their hand up, the sign is for the Federation. But some people, they hold their hand up and it's for their planet, like for the Trill. You know, why does Michael get a vote? It just, who knows what was going on there. No one... While you're digging into that, I was also like, wait, so a hand up means something and no hand up means something else, which is like, so you have to have a time limit because I might just be thinking and then you vote me as a no because I haven't raised my hand yet. And not everybody had hands, maybe. Right. Like, they, you know, what, what, shouldn't they say hand or flipper, you know, or whatever? Uh, no, or press the green button and the blue button. I don't know. But it just, to me, it was just, it didn't make any sense as a way to vote. They should have just said cast your vote. And then they, we could have seen the two different colors of the screens they were you know the holographic screens yeah no, that, was, that, that was would dumb. have it, been way better but raise your hand or don't raise your hand i was like i would never do a vote that way and especially with aliens with lots of different appendages you know what's interesting is that there was a trailer way back before the season started that showed a different version of that same vote which was more like you were talking about i think they might have shot it a couple different ways where one was kind of vote yes or no because they all had these kind of holographic voting displays in front of them and maybe they thought it was more active perhaps for everyone to raise their hands you know it felt it felt more affirmative but but they could have done the same thing because it could have been you know and even more suspenseful then if they would if they had to raise their hand to activate that thing and then we saw what they voted for anyway it just seemed like not a good not an unwise way to conduct the proceedings now the Earth representative didn't looks like she didn't vote yes. So because Pre- President Rillick made it clear she wants Earth back in personally because her she's part human and just because it's Earth and you want Earth back in and so that doesn't bode well. Although I imagine Earth will eventually. That's kind of the last big step to yeah. saying the Federation is back. But I did note that. In episode 401, they said there were 59 members of the Federation. And in this episode, they said there were 60, which is basically just Navarre. So they haven't been adding anyone all season long. Even because you'd think like during the DMA, people would be like, oh, maybe I do want to be part of the Federation. You know, that sounds like a good deal now. Right. Like Butterfly Man should have joined. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I thought that was curious. But I, I expect we'll see more people joining, including Earth. I'd hope by the end of the season. I mean, what? are they going to how long are they going to drag out the rebuilding the Federation thing if they go into season five? Is it just going to be a never ending thing, perhaps? I mean, it's a good device trying to add new worlds as always. I mean, they would they even did on the, on the old shows. They do that where planets were being considered for membership in the Federation. So it's a story they can always do. No matter what. Yeah. Okay. So we're, you know, we've, as usual, we've, we've devolved into the minutiae. I'm going to end end on a positive note, which is that I really 
liked the way they ended the episode. I thought that was just such a good moment where Michael finds Grudge, figures out what's going on, rushes to Book's ship just in time to see them jump. And then she's just standing there alone. Yes, a good use of the transporter jumping you from one part of the ship to the other. Mm -hmm. But I thought the moment was great, the way she's just left there standing alone, that she knew it was going to happen. I thought that was, and and since it has to be a mid-season finale, which I'm not a fan of that word or what it means, um, that was a good way to end things. And it's the first time we've seen another ship, or at least another ship class, use a spore drive and they had a whole different kind of cool effect because every piece of book ship can come off like a you know a lego set and so they all just start spinning around yep and i thought that was kind of cool actually and off they go to who knows where right exciting stuff i think that's basically it i think we've really covered everything we can usually we talk about our bits of the week but my only bit this week is to wish everyone a happy new year so well, but you've got something i do have something so there were a lot of good interviews with jonathan frakes in the past week and one of the things he brought up in his collider interview um which is a particularly good one by the way um was that he used to do and i knew this about him that he used to dress up as captain america and go like he worked for marvel comics and he'd go to conventions and he'd do all these things like back in the late 70s And so he talks about some of the appearances that he did. And the interviewer says, are there any pictures of this? And so he gave just enough of a clue to go find it, which is that he was at Rosalind and Amy Carter's lawn party in 1980. So uh, I found a picture on Twitter that somebody posted from 1980. And you can see he's got a thing over his face, but you can totally tell that it's him. And we'll put up a link so you can see the picture. And there are a few others out there, too, that are worth tracking down. So Jonathan Frakes is sort of in the MCU, right? Yes. I mean, he was hired by them. He was yes. paid, paid by Marvel to do it. Yeah. Well, before there was an MCU, but he was yeah. he was there first. Yep, he was. <laughs> so, and then we just want to remind everybody, next week we are going to be reviewing Prodigy. Discovery will not be back until February 10th. Um, And, of course, for our Prodigy review, we will have, as I already said, Annie and David, uh, Tony's niece and nephew, will be back to offer their take on the episode. Thanks for listening, and Happy New Year. See you next year.